If you looked at our sermon text this morning, maybe you were a little bit surprised that it covers chapters 5 through 10 in the book of Exodus. I heard a little bit of groaning from an unnamed source, but I would put it this way, when you are watching on television, let's say a hockey game, you kind of get just, you know, that little focus of the camera. When you're at the game and you see the big picture, that's what we're looking at this morning, the, the big picture of how Pharaoh dealt with the children of Israel, negotiating with them. God told him to go three days' journey into the wilderness, and he was offering all kinds of compromises, and Moses said no. So we're going to take a, a, a big picture look at this whole uh, desire of Pharaoh to negotiate. Moses said no, we will not negotiate. Let's bow in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one that gives us the victory. We do not need to negotiate with the evil one to compromise with ways that he would want us to turn away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds to your word, that you would teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Many years ago, there was an issue of pulpit helps that had kind of a humorous story of a hunter who was aiming his gun at a bear and ready to pull the trigger. Just then the bear said in a soothing voice, Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? Why don't we negotiate the matter? What is it that you want? The hunter lowered his rifle and said, well, I would like a fur coat. That's good, said the bear. That's something we can talk about. All I want is a full stomach. Maybe we can reach a compromise. So they sat down to talk it over. And a little while later, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach. And the hunter had a fur coat. If you didn't get that, ask me at the door. I'll explain it to you on the way out. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but there is someone who would love to negotiate with you. But I must warn you that this negotiator has no concern for you whatsoever. In fact, he wants to devour you. If you haven't guessed what I'm talking about, it isn't a bear. It's actually a lion, right? First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And I would suggest to you that one of the ways that he wants to devour you is by negotiating with you. He wants to negotiate a compromise. The Lord calls us to be fully committed to him, but the devil says, you know what? That really isn't necessary. You don't really need to be fully committed to the Lord. You don't want to be a fanatic, do you? And so all kinds of negotiations take place where the devil says, you know what? (laughs) Let's just compromise a little. You'll be much happier anyhow, right? Because 
all these rules and so forth. And so there's the the, the, the picture we find then in Exodus 5 through 10 where Pharaoh is dealing with the children of Israel. God had told them to go a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship him, but Pharaoh came with all kinds of compromises. And he then is a picture of the evil one who would desire to get us as believers Compromise. There are five of them, but they're going to go boom, 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 right? It's not going to be, you know, longer because there's five points, so don't worry. Five, several chapters and five points, but no need to worry. Notice, first of all, we will not distrust God's word. That was Pharaoh's first uh, compromise. So we go to Exodus 5 and the People of Israel are in a very difficult situation. Joseph is dead. There's a new Pharaoh now ruling. And the people of Israel are in bondage. And so God sends Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh with his message, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. We find that in Exodus 5.1. But Pharaoh said in verse 2, Who is the Lord? Imagine that. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I don't know this God. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, the reason is obvious. They were his slaves, right? They were building his kingdom. And to hear Moses and Aaron come and say, let my people go, Pharaoh said, absolutely not. And it's interesting what he says then to that, or what he does at chapter 5, verse 6, So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and said, You are no longer to bring them straw to make bricks. They need to gather the straw themselves. The quota remains the same. They are lazy. They are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then in verse 9 we find this very significant statement from Pharaoh. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. What are they saying about God? They are saying that he has false words. Don't listen to these false words. That should sound familiar because that has been Satan's strategy ever since the beginning, right? God had told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what? You will surely die. And the devil comes and says, did God really say that? Can you really believe that? Then he says, you surely will not die. These are false words. You cannot trust God's word. And what is interesting here, the first attack that Satan made upon the word of God is that God will never judge. You surely will not die. And that's what he's doing today, right? God won't judge you. God would never send anyone to hell. You don't need a Savior. You're fine just the way you are. And most people believe it, don't they? Most people believe it. They distrust 
God's word. And there's another way that Satan deceives people, and that is by telling them that there's no hope for them. There's no way that you'll be set free from your bondage to sin, and if they think it's possible, they're just putting their trust in in false words. But you and I know, I trust you know, that God's words aren't false words. God's word is true. It is powerful. And when God says, let my people go, set them free, we are set free through the power of God's Word. Philip Ryken writes this. He says, until God's Spirit comes to set us free, we are held captive by Satan, who keeps us enslaved in our sins. But then, while we are still in bondage, we hear the gospel in which God says to sin and to Satan, let my people go. He says the good news about Jesus Christ is our emancipation proclamation. I love that. Have you heard God's emancipation proclamation that in Jesus you are free because He paid the price for you. He redeemed you. He rescued you. Not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb without spot or blemish. We can trust His Word. We can believe that what He says is true. And that's why we must say to the devil when he comes to us, we will not negotiate. We will not distrust God's Word. You jump to chapter 8. told you it wasn't going to be that long. Chapter 8. And we find a second compromise brought to Moses. And he says this to Pharaoh. We will not be religious slaves. Chapter 8 verse 20 says, The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you do not let them go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also on the ground where they dwell. Can you imagine what that would be? I had a couple of flies in our porch yesterday and just two flies bugged me. Can you imagine just being engulfed with flies everywhere, everywhere, except in the land of Goshen, where my people live? He says, you'll you'll find them there, and you will know that God makes a distinction between the people of Egypt and the people of the Lord. And so, the flies came, chapter 8, verse 24, into the house of Pharaoh, the houses of his servants, The land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. So now Pharaoh is saying, okay, let's let's negotiate here. And so in chapter 8, verse 25, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, okay, go, sacrifice to your God. Notice what he says, within the land. Just do it here. You don't need to go. You don't need to leave. You can stay here. You can offer your sacrifice. 
just do it here within the land. Now, that was very different from, from God's command. They were to go a three-day journey into the wilderness. Pharaoh says, no, just, just do it here. What a shrewd negotiator, huh? This was a clever ploy. Seemed like a reasonable compromise. He would permit the Israelites to offer their sacrifices, provided that they just stay in Egypt. They wouldn't be allowed to go into the wilderness as God had commanded, but at least they could offer their sacrifices. That had to be good enough, huh, people of Israel? Philip Riken says it was a big enough concession that most people would have taken Pharaoh up on the offer. If Moses had been in a mood to compromise, he could have rationalized. This is probably the best we're going to get from Pharaoh. He might have said, why don't we take it? After all, the really important thing is that we offer sacrifices to God, not where we do it. (laughs) See how the mind can kind of rationalize. But there was a problem with that. If Pharaoh could get the Israelites to sacrifice in the land of Egypt, he would still be able to build the kingdom, his kingdom through them. The only thing that would have changed is that they would have become religious slaves because they would have still been in bondage. That is Satan's temptation. He said, if you must serve the Lord, you don't need to leave the world. You don't need to turn away from your sin. It really isn't necessary. And sad to say, many people have listened to his lie. They don't want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved in their sin. And there's a difference, isn't there? Being saved from your sin means a change of life. Being saved in your sin is just like, well, I'll just, I'll just keep living. I'll just keep confessing. God will forgive me. That's, that's bondage. That's living in bondage. One author says, just as God brought Israel out of the house of bondage, so he brings the church out of the prison house of sin, not halfway, but all the way. He said, some people are interested in getting religious without ever becoming Christians. They come to church on Sunday, but they're not willing to leave their sins behind the rest of the week. To put it in terms of Exodus chapter 8, They are willing to make a few sacrifices as long as they don't actually have to leave Egypt. But Then he says, but becoming a Christian means leaving sin behind to follow Jesus. That's what a believer is. Saying goodbye to sin, saying goodbye to the the way you used to live to follow Jesus, right? Repenting, turning different direction in life. What did Moses think of that compromise? Look at chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. But Moses said, it is not right to do so. For we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not then stone us? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to our Lord God as he commands us. Moses knew this was not enough. 
They were to get out of Egypt. Nothing less would do. We will not be religious slaves, it said. Well, Pharaoh had another compromise, and Moses responded to that. Thirdly, we will not be partially committed. After Moses made it clear to Pharaoh that he wouldn't sacrifice to the Lord of the land of Egypt, here's what Pharaoh said then in chapter 8, verse 28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Okay? Now it's not, you don't stay here, you can go into the wilderness. But then he says this, only you shall not go very far away. Okay, if you got to get out of Egypt, if you have to go into the wilderness, not this three-day journey, just don't go too far. Partially committed. Why just part way? Why just go uh, not too far from Egypt? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Pharaoh wanted the people of Israel to go just part of the way into the wilderness for the same reason he wanted them to stay in Egypt. That way he would still have a chance to bring them back, right? They're not that far away. They did their sacrifice. Now it's time to come home. And he'll send his army after them to get them back into Egypt. This is the reason why Satan doesn't want us to be fully committed to the Lord. If we are partially committed to the Lord, it is so easy to get pulled back into the world. Because the world is like a magnet. It draws us to its ways. And if we live close to the world, it is so much easier to go back to Egypt. Go back to the old way of living instead of leaving that behind. The closer we live to the world, the more powerful the pull. I saw something that shocked me one time. There was a Navy sailor on a ship that got too close to the jet engine and that engine just sucked him in. I thought, oh man, the danger of getting too close. And that's not how we want to live where we just kind of toy with the world and we, you know, kind of not be committed fully to the Lord because it it can be dangerous. There was a man that applied for a job one day to be a stagecoach driver. And part of the journey was along this mountain road, along the edge of the cliff. And so uh, he, he asked those who were applying uh, the question, how, how close can you get to the edge of the cliff and still be safe? One guy says, oh, probably 10 feet. Another said five feet. Another said a couple feet. And he asked another guy, how close can you get to the edge and be safe? He said, I never want to get close to the edge. I want to stay as close to the mountain as possible. He said, you're the one that's higher. You're the one that's higher. So how are you living your life? Dabbling in the ways of the world? Still wanting to be a Christian, but yet not wanting to leave Egypt? That was Pharaoh's compromise. Moses says, we're not going to do that. We will not be partially committed. So Pharaoh had a fourth way of negotiating, and that had to do with the family. And Moses said, we will not forsake our family. So we turn to chapter 10, and God brings another plague upon the Egyptians. 
a plague of locusts. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let me go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And if you're wondering what a locust is, a grasshopper. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail, and they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses, just like they were filled with flies, are going to be filled with grasshoppers. Probably won't be hungry. You can eat lots of grasshoppers. Won't that be a joy, huh? You're wondering what that might be like. I came across something that Laura Ingalls Wilder had written about a grasshopper invasion years ago. Here's what part of it says. It says, something hit Laura's head and fell to the ground. She looked down and saw the largest grasshoppers she had ever seen. Then huge brown grasshoppers were hitting the ground all around her, hitting her head and her face and her arms. They came thudding down like hail. The cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was grasshoppers. Their bodies hid the sun and made darkness. Their thin, large wings gleamed and glittered. The rasping, whirring of their wings filled the whole air, and they hit the ground in the house with the noise of a hailstorm. Laura tried to beat them off. Their claws clung to her skin and her dress. They looked at her with bulging eyes, turning their heads this way and that. Mary ran screaming into the house. Grasshoppers covered the ground. There was not one bare place to step. Laura had to step on grasshoppers as they smashed, squirming and slimy under her feet. Grasshoppers had beat, had, excuse me, grasshoppers beat down from the sky and swarmed thick over the ground. Their long wings were folded and their strong legs took them hopping everywhere. The air whirled, whirred and the, and the roof went on sounding like a roof in a hailstorm. And then she said, Then there was another sound. One big sound made of tiny nips and snips and gnawings. The grasshoppers were eating. You could hear the millions of jaws biting and chewing. Day after day, the grasshoppers kept on eating. They ate all the wheat and the oats. They ate every green thing, all the garden, all the prairie grass. The whole prairie was bare and brown. Millions of brown grasshoppers whirred over it. Not a green thing was in sight anywhere. Now, I've never seen anything like that. The closest I've ever seen was army worms. (laughs) If you remember those. I can remember driving down the, the highway and there was green on one side of the trees and the other trees were bare and the road was black with just grease from those army worms that had got run over by cars. In our yard, one side had grass or had green on the trees, the other side was gone, and the army worms were literally crawling up the wall over the roof and down the other side. 
That's the closest I can come. But can you imagine what this must have been like? And so the servants of Moses are pleading, let them go. Get them out of here. They are going to destroy us. Chapter 10, verse 7. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And here's what he said in chapter 10, verse 8. Go serve the Lord your God. But then he says, who are the ones that are going? Okay, you want to serve the Lord, but who are the ones that are going? Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, our sons and our daughters, our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then Pharaoh said, thus may the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Take heed for Evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord. And so they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So what's his compromise here? Okay, you can go. But you leave your kids here. Go ahead, you men. You leave your children here. Why? Well, they were his future, right? Or, if the men go, they're going to come back. So, if you want to go, if it's that important to you, that you have to go into the wilderness, you have to sacrifice your God, okay, dads, go ahead. Just leave your kids behind. That is Satan's negotiation with people today. Leave your kids. And Satan is fighting for the soul of our children today like never before. And we as parents and grandparents must say, we will not leave our children behind. We are taking them with us. We are serving Jesus and we are taking them with us. Like Joshua, remember? He says, as for me and my house, you can finish it, we will serve the Lord. Do not leave your children behind. And there are ways in which Satan is winning that battle, failing to protect children from spiritual danger. Some parents have no clue what their kids are doing. Being too busy for them, often good things, allowing them to be so busy, no time for the Lord, neglecting to teach and live the principles of Scripture. We must be committed to the next generation. Not leave them behind in Egypt. I love what Moses said. We shall go with our young, our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, our herd. There is no negotiating. We are not leaving our family behind. They will come with us too. He didn't want to give up, did he? And there's one final one. We will not withhold our possessions from serving the Lord. If there's one compromise that maybe Pharaoh had the greatest chance of negotiating with Moses, maybe this was the one. It didn't involve staying in Egypt. It didn't involve just going a part way. It didn't involve leaving the children behind. All he was asking for was their cattle. Just their cattle. 
Chapter 10, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones can go. Okay, just just leave your possessions behind. Does that sound familiar? You think that is Satan's strategy today? If you must serve the Lord, don't surrender your your money to him, your possessions to him, your, your, your things to him, those are yours. You worked hard for them. You mean you're going to give those up too to the Lord? And there are many who have listened to that compromise. Uh, some have said the last thing to be surrendered to the Lord is often the, the, the wallet, the pocketbook, because we tend to love those Dollars, right. And I've discovered that that we can come up with excuses for a lifetime. We're just starting out in life. You know, we just don't we just don't have much. Trying to raise a family, you know how costly that is. Well then the kids leave home and well we gotta send them off to college, you know how expensive that is. And then they're gone, it's just like, well, I haven't saved much for retirement. Now we got to do that. And then when you're retired, guess what? I'm on a fixed income. Isn't it interesting how in every stage of life we can come up with all kinds of excuses instead of just saying, you know what, Lord? Everything I have belongs to you. And I'm going to give because I know you're going you're to bless me for that. The Scripture's filled with those promises, right? Given it shall be given to you. Uh, you know, there, there's so many ways that we can start to just negotiate a little bit and say, well, I'm not sure I can really surrender this. Instead of coming to the place and saying, Lord, I, I surrender all. It's all yours anyhow. It belongs to you and I want to use it for your glory. Moses did not fall for that compromise either. Chapter 10, verses 25 and 26. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. And then he said, therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. And I love this phrase. He said, not a hoof, not a single hoof will be left behind. That is quite a statement, right? It all belongs to God. I'm not going to leave a single hoof behind. We shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know what, with what we shall serve the Lord. No room for negotiation. Committed to what God called them to do. Why did Moses refuse to negotiate? What's the, what's the basis of all this? Moses refused to negotiate because the journey into the wilderness was an act of worship and it was based upon God's gracious work of redemption. Right? God was rescuing them. He was freeing them from the bondage of Egypt. That was the gospel. That was the grace of God to set them free and based on what God had done for them. What is the response? It's to worship Him. It's to worship Him. God made this clear to Moses from the day He called him. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen 
the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to deliver them. Some translations say, I've come down to rescue them. Rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So the application is clear, isn't it? Before we know Jesus, we're in bondage. We are in bondage to sin. But when He rescues us, He sets us free. And the result is that we want to worship Him. We want to serve Him. Be committed to Him. Not to earn anything. But because of what Jesus has done to rescue us, to save us. Have you been rescued? Have you heard the emancipation proclamation? You know what that is from our history. There's a greater emancipation proclamation when God says, let my people go, set them free. And Jesus, He's the one that sets us free. We will celebrate that in just a moment as we come to the Lord's Supper. The blood of Jesus Christ is what rescues us and saves us and forgives us and out of gratitude for what Christ has done. We worship Him. We serve Him. And everything that we have, we surrender to Him. I hope you've been rescued. (laughs) If you haven't been rescued, Jesus has paid that price for your salvation, your redemption. You being rescued from the bondage of sin, brought into a living relationship, life-changing relationship with Jesus because His blood was shed for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the sacrifice that You made for us, the price that You paid for us. And everything we have, Lord, belongs to You because You have given it to us. And I pray, Lord, the response of our heart would be joyful. Surrender everything we have to you. Not negotiating, not compromising in any way. But surrendering all that we have to you because of all that you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.